Good morning and welcome to The Core Connection. I'm Mara Rubin here with you on Enlightened World Network. And today's topic is fear as friend. Uh, many of us befriend fear or believe that um, fear is the only way we can keep ourselves in check or prepare for an uncertain future. And uh, we're gonna have a look at that dynamic and discuss other potential options. But before we get started, let's take a minute or two to get present. Let's take a deep breath in through your nose and hold it. And imagine clean, crisp oxygen flooding into your lungs, flowing into your bloodstream, nourishing all your cells, all your organs, bringing vital life energy to your body and being. And as you exhale, exhale any tension, stress, negativity, fatigue. And now let's take another deep breath in through your nose and hold it. This time, imagine brilliant bright light lighting you up from the inside out, illuminating, electrifying, and energizing all your cells, all your molecules, all your electrons, creating this brilliant beam of light from your heart out into the world. And as you exhale, exhale any remaining tension, stress, negativity, fatigue. And now let's press our palms together, rub those hands vigorously together and feel all that sensation, friction, tension, temperature, and energy and allow yourself to bring yourself present through all those sensations into this physical form that enables you to experience life. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's great to be here with you this morning. Um, today, we're talking about fear as friend uh, with a big question mark, because I think I, I, I see where a lot of folks use fear or believe that fear is the only way to motivate themselves to do the right thing, whatever the right thing may be. So um, I had a conversation with a friend who has a very um, uh, I'm going to say demanding job where their attention to detail impacts life and death for other people, really. Like to be sure that they are um, doing a good job and paying attention to everything. If they don't, potentially people could literally lose their lives. So this is a very high pressure job and it requires a very high level of attention and, and um, diligence, precision. And this person was saying that they're terrified that they might miss something that would then result in someone's death. You know, this is, this is big stakes, really, really high stakes. Good morning, good morning, Bernadette. Welcome. We're talking about fear 
as friend and and looking to see if there might be other options um, than than motivating ourselves through fear. Anyway, it's great to have you here with us this morning and welcome to everybody else too who is joining us. So anyway, this this person was saying that they they are motivated to do a good job to be really attentive to detail and vigilant because of this terror that they might do something or miss something that would compromise someone else's life and i i was i was talking with them about well it sounds like the thing that's important is not the fear but the vigilance the attention the clarity the focus and would there might there be another way to come to that attention without the fear and so this is i think it's a really interesting conversation because in a life and death situation are we able are we able to be cognizant of the consequences to be motivated by the severity of the consequences if we are um if we're not attentive to all the details are we able to be that present without fear you know are we able to recognize the um importance of our clarity are we able to be that focused without being motivated by fear and i think it's an i think it's an important question because i know a lot of people that beat themselves up that believe that they have to be harsh to themselves in order to get themselves to do things you know that they motivate themselves through through negative reinforcement and that's really what we're talking about here in terms of the fear um and you know i can see where there's there's a positive outcome you know where i i'm motivating myself by by staying in this place of high alert the thing is that when we experience fear we are are flooding our bodies with cortisol and all kinds of hormones that are working on our physical well-being to it to our detriment and to be able to maintain that level of vigilance and or, or not vigilance but that level of fear ongoingly takes a physical toll Good morning, good morning, Bernadette, uh, Kimberly. Bernadette, I said good morning to you already, but welcome, Kimberly. It's great to have you here with us. So Bernadette says, I think if you have the confidence in the work you're doing, um, it eliminates the fear of what ifs. Well, so I think that the 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 
in this particular person because they were really committed to staying fearful. It was really interesting. Um, I think that their concern was becoming overconfident, you know, and not taking the work as seriously as it needed to be taken. It's very high detail work. And it really does impact, like if if they don't catch something, somebody could die, literally. Multiple people could die. And so um, I, I, I think it's a delicate balance to maintain the awareness of the consequence and the, and the importance of that level of village, vigilance and I'm wondering if it's possible to do that without being fearful. I tend to believe that it is. Um, however, it takes, uh, I, I think that it's not necessarily an easy step to take. So Bernadette says, so is that when ego of their ability steps in? Well, if someone gets overconfident, they can be sloppy potentially, right? Like if they're if they're assuming, oh, I know, you know, I don't have to pay attention, that um, potentially they could get sloppy. And I think that this person protects themselves from getting sloppy by using fear. Um, but I, I have also encountered, and the, and the thing that arose in this conversation is that they were telling me that they look at every possible outcome, every possible and typically negative outcome that could occur in life in order to prepare for that, that they're motivated for everything they do by fear. And I, I remember in my life for a good portion of my life, my primary motivator was fear. And I know what a toll it took on me. And the thing is, this person's young. And, you know, I, I work with, and interestingly, not surprisingly, they come from a background where they experienced a lot of trauma. And so people who have experienced trauma are typically in a state of high alert, hypervigilance, you know, being able to assess a situation, always being, always being vigilant to be able to assess a situation for danger or hazard. And um whether whether that's a perceived danger or a true danger, uh, what happens is when when we are exposed to that a dangerous situation, we become habituated to that behavior to be on high alert all the time, and it takes a toll. It takes a toll physically, mentally, emotionally. And so I think that there's a place where we can come to 
of, of, of balance um, of trust, because here's the thing, there, although, although there are a number of people, and I've been talking to a bunch of them lately, who um, believe that by anticipating whatever the negative consequences or outcomes could be by anticipating that and making preparations for that, that they will, that they will um, be able to deal with anything. The truth is that we cannot anticipate every possible outcome. And we, the, these folks that are, um, that are wired that way, are not anticipating all the good possibilities that could occur too. You know, like they think they're being realistic by looking at and and preparing for any possible negativity. Um, but what about the positive things that happen? What about um, things that they didn't anticipate that they couldn't prepare for? And so again, it, this is a fear-based way of approaching life and for me anyway the the antidote to that because of the the toll that it was taking like I, I wasn't able to be able to enjoy life I'm still learning still learning how to enjoy life um but being being on hyper alert I can say for certain and it has taken a huge toll on my body. Um, but the antidote to that for me has been the, the hypothesis that I keep sharing with you guys. Life is happening for me and through me rather than to me. And where that leads me is to a place of embracing and accepting what unfolds with life and there's a trust that is cultivated from that that whatever arises in life I am equipped to deal with because it's happening for me and so it's not that I don't need to um, take precautions it's not that I get to ignore um the signs of things and and make um considered decisions but the element of fear becomes removed you know it it it, it is not the deciding factor it is not the underlying motivator in life and that's a profound shift experientially, I can promise you, because when um when we're living from fear, where everything is everything and everyone is a threat, and wow, you know, like what a scary place to be. So Kimberly says, I have an attitude of gratitude, and I'm learning to love. Kimberly, that's so profound. It makes such a big difference. You know, um, there, the gratitude and appreciation is is being in a place of receiving gifts, right? Fear 
is when the, you know like every there's a threat it's like being in a constant threat the thing is guys we never we don't get out of here alive it's just not happening we do not get out of here alive and and so um i think that there's a difference between facing our fears and nurturing our fears and we i i see people believing that they have to be fearful in order to survive and when we are in fear that is survival right it's not living and there's a difference and um bernadette says I thank the military for making me vigilant to my surroundings, but it would also make me feel proud that I see things coming quicker. I cannot imagine doing that with fear and living in the what ifs. So Bernadette, I love, I love this, that, that you talked about the training from the military. This person also has that kind of training. And for you, and this is something you're just sort of, proving the point and I love it because you're saying that you could be vigilant without the fear that you can be alert to your surroundings in fact with that when we're fearful physically what happens is our our viewpoint narrows when we're fearful and our focus narrows and so even if you're you're hyper vigilant with that fear you're not seeing everything so if we can come into a state of greater presence we have a greater capacity to be present to what's around us to be aware to be vigilant to be perceptive kimberly says i'm alive alert enthusiastic i love it kimberly there's like the vitality that that brings to life rather than danger 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 you know if we're constantly living in a place of danger it ex it exhausts our physical being because we are not built to be in a state of high alert all the time and and so it is for this person, it was such a deeply, deeply held belief that fear was essential to keep them in line. But the thing is that that was a function of their trauma. And, and also the, the belief that their, and, and this was to their credit, that, the, that their trauma should not shape them. But the thing is, too, with trauma, we tend to either dwell in it or sequester it away. And it's really interesting, you know, like I get that we sequester it away as a survival mechanism, which is, is important. You know, it helps us get through situations. However, what I've noticed is I have a, I have a lot of clients who are older you know that aren't that are in their 50s 
and are, are contending with the traumas that they sequestered away, not because they're consciously trying to live through them, but because they have been subconsciously driven by them for their entire lives. So Bernadette says, we're also calmer to see things if we're not in a place of fear. Exactly. A hundred percent, Bernadette. When, when we're in that more Zen state, we can perceive more of what's going on. Exactly. So, you know, it's, it's really interesting. Um, the, the folks that I'm working with have, in many cases, felt like they dealt with their traumas. And yet, and yet, those traumas insidiously have found a way to manipulate the behaviors that those per people have lived out of for years and years and years in their lives without even realizing it. And so this is where, thank you, Bernadette says, dealt with or buried them. Exactly, exactly. If we can say, okay, that's done. It's not me anymore. I'm not at the effect of it. Not necessarily true. Not necessarily true. Um, I know that I had certain traumas that I was dealing with on all different levels for years and years and years, and yet they were still active. They were still active in my behaviors. They were still active in my perspectives. And so just this, this orientation to fear, you know, you cannot, it, it was such an interesting conversation because it became so clear to me that this person really was not in a space to look at these things from a different vantage point. And that was, that's okay. I mean, we're only ready to change when we're ready. You know, we're only ready to um, see things differently when we're ready. And oftentimes that doesn't occur until we have some kind of major awakening or some kind of extreme situation that makes the need to address whatever that is undeniable, um, where we have such pain that we can't bear it anymore. And that's oftentimes when, when we finally get to address stuff that's been festering for who knows how long. Bernadette says, I'm 62 and still periodically have wounds show up that I had forgotten about. Exactly. I mean, it's a bizarre thing. That's such a bizarre dynamic. But I noticed the same thing is that, you know, th memories that have not, that I completely, things I had completely forgotten about resurface. Um at the at the most unlikely times you know so while we think that we've while we sometimes think that we've dealt with things um in and we've been, we've instead often just sort of pushed them away into a corner and um are other than conscious mind and being doesn't 
doesn't forget about it until we get to, until we deal with it. And um, I, I just, I have such affection for this person and, and a concern that these, these deep traumas that they are committed not to share with anybody, not to address you know, any further other than to say I've dealt with it, you know, it's done. Just because we say it's over doesn't mean it's over, unfortunately. I wish that were the case. I wish it were that easy to just say, well, that's the past. The past is the past. Done. Close the door on it. Well, it stays there behind that door ready to come knocking sometime, it seems. At least that's that's the experience that I've had with people so far. So Bernadette says sometimes they're triggered by a command or a place or just the links between the past and future situations. Exactly. Like, I, I can't tell you, I've heard so many stories of people who have had a death in the family, somebody, you know, or the death of someone close to them. And they didn't even cry. And then years later, some seemingly superficial little thing happens and this well of grief and despair just bubbles up out of seemingly nowhere because they hadn't really addressed the grief i mean i've had i've had clients come to me and and say you know what it would be a profound result if I could just cry again. I haven't been able to cry for years. You know, that that there's this massive shutdown. And, and another client who walled off trauma so effectively that, that we're only approaching it in, in baby, baby steps because there's such deep trauma that there's that the prospect of addressing that trauma in itself is traumatic. So, you know, we're we're taking a very gentle baby step kind of approach to it because they've locked it down so effectively, so profoundly. It's just insane. Insane. So I I wonder when we when we look at the ways that we motivate ourselves. You know, I I know people who talk to themselves really nasty to get themselves to do certain things. This is this is a function of how we were taught to treat ourselves. You know, what if what if we use encouraging words like you can do this? I know I can do this instead of come on stupid or something like that, you know? And it's like, wow, look how we learned how to treat ourselves from by other people. And then we inter internalize and integrate those behaviors and then persist in them. What if we could allow ourselves to recognize those patterns and give ourselves some compassion 
to move into a space that is more life affirming and um Bernadette says, we can also say to ourselves, um, that's my addition. I have survived every situation I've encountered so far. Exactly, Bernadette. Like, I'm still here. I've made it this far, you know? Um, and uh, maybe, maybe, you know, I'm going to continue to to triumph over these circumstances. I'm going to continue to figure it out. But um, like I have, I have people who put themselves down so they they don't become too arrogant or full of themselves, <clears throat> you know, to just keep beating themselves up so that they don't get carried away with themselves, rather than rather than being able to recognize their strengths and um, they they just keep mitigating and minimizing their capabilities in their own mind's eye you know it, it's it's kind of crazy that we do this stuff it really is um kimberly says definitely i can do it each and every day <clears throat> excuse me kimberly says definitely i can do it each and every day i have a choice we have multitudes of choices each and every day, right, Kimberly? And Kimberly says, I choose happiness and overcoming obstacles. I love it, Kimberly. It is a choice. It is a choice. Our vantage point is a choice. It becomes a choice when we become aware of what the dynamic is, that, there, uh, that we actually have a choice, that it's not that we're horrible, awful people. We move out of Oh my gosh, I'm saying that stuff to myself. I get to make a different choice. So Bernadette says, or so they don't stand out. Okay, good. That's a good point, Bernadette. So people will um, put themselves down so they don't, they keep themselves small so they won't shine, so they won't be visible. So, you know, because there's, you know, so many of us have the, notion that there's danger in being visible and it's not that there isn't but aren't there dangers in being invisible as well you know like the the danger of being completely unfulfilled and and just just putting one foot in front of the other in life instead of being engaged in life you know the danger of not fulfilling what we came here to be. So Bernadette says exactly, and also making them vulnerable. Well, the, it's a it's a deep misconception to imagine that by being small, we're not vulnerable, right? Like beating ourselves up, keeping ourselves small, um, so that we aren't vulnerable. It's it's such a it what I like to call a um, a false equivalency. You know, we make up these equations that say being visible is dangerous. Well, I, I think that that's because we have whether it's um, 
past life memories or genetic memories or something, we do have we do have a lot of examples of when you make yourself visible, you make yourself a target. Um, but that's not always the case. Um, and <clears throat> what's the cost of not of not showing up? What's the cost of not showing up? Living lives of silent desperation, right? Living lives that aren't fulfilled. I would rather, I would rather show up and and explore what it is to be what I came here to be and and get cut down for it, like and lose my life for it than than to not have tried to express that light in the first place. You know, it's like burn brightly. Why not? We don't get out of here alive anyway. We just don't. So you might as well shine your light. Or do you just want to prolong prolong a life of of compromise? So why? What's what what for? So um, Bernadette says, oh, we sure are when we are small also, vulnerable. Yes, we're vulnerable when we're small also. You know, this is like the difference between living in fear or living in, in faith, you know, or, or, you know, living in life is happening for me and through me. Which is, which is going to bring your life more into fulfillment bernadette says turtle in a shell comes to mind exactly kimberly says easy way out i you know what i don't think living a small life is necessarily an easy way out because i think it brings its own miseries you know just people shine your light shine your light and some people will like it and some people won't and okay it is what it is. The thing is that you get to be what you came here to be. And and the fear is the way that we are, are confined to our limitations, that are our manufactured limitations. You know, we may have limits, but it's not the limits that fear puts on us. There's so much more we can be when we when we embrace the light that we are. Kimberly says, I'm shining bright sunshine. I love you. Thank you for this topic this morning. Kimberly, you are shining bright. So excited for you. And um Bernadette says, shine bright like a diamond. Yes. If not now, when? Really, really, people. What you know, the, the world is calling for you. Truly. The world is calling for you to show up. So if not now, when? You know, we're at a point in in the world that we don't know, we don't know 
what's going to happen, how long it's going to last. So burn brightly, really. So with that, that's it for this morning. I'm Nira Rubin. This is The Core Connection. And I go live here each weekday morning on the Enlightened World Network Facebook page and YouTube channel at 9 a.m. Eastern. And I invite you to, uh, did I say each weekday morning? I may have. Anyway, um, I invite you to check out the other awesome programming on Enlightened World Network, Enlightened World Living, and uh, EWN, One with the Earth. It is always such a privilege and a pleasure to be with you, to spend the time with you together. I'm, I just am so grateful for this opportunity. So until next time, so, so, so much love to you.